All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like, I, don't, I won't cover the Canucks. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network podcast and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation Podcast here, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to use our promo code, Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, Hockey Season, all one word. That'll get you $5 off your order. And you know what? I got a pack right now that I'm going to rip. Riding solo for the next uh, probably three minutes or so until Harm gets up here from the elevator. But let's pull a pack real quick. Thanks to the great folks at Zephyr Epic for sending these over. Let's see if we got anything hot. We have a welcome to Winnipeg. That is a pretty great... uh, Pretty great card. Welcome to Winnipeg, the most beautiful part of Winnipeg there on the skyline. My name is Chris Faber. Thank you for joining us here for another episode of the Canucks Conversation Show. There he is right there, Harmon Dial, sneaking in. He's nimble. Uh, We will be diving into a lot of talk with my guest, Harmon Dial, who's filling in for David Quadrelli today. And, uh, yeah, your mic will actually get going right now if you want there, Harm. Uh, But Harm was recently at, in Buffalo, for the NHL Draft Combine. A lot of uh, exciting things I think we got to dive into at that point. Uh, and I just want to hear a little bit more about the Draft Combine as a whole because I think it's a big deal in the NFL. Like, I think the Draft Combine is a pretty big deal because you get the 40-yard dash. You get a lot of things that you actually see translatable uh, to the NFL and what you do every day on Sunday. But the NHL is a little bit more interesting. They're riding the bikes. I know that Wayne Gretzky was even pretty critical about... You know, what are these players learning from riding the bike? What are you learning about these players? But there's a lot of little things that we'll have to dive into. Harm's here in studio. Your audio is on, Harm. First off, how are you? I'm doing all right. Sorry uh, about uh, being a few minutes late there. I no worries. was getting absolutely annihilated by my allergies. Get you to mute the, uh, the laptop there. There yeah. we go. No, go ahead. Allergies. Yeah, I was getting... Absolutely annihilated, and because like I usually keep my meds in one specific drawer, so I never misplace it. But I'd taken them with me to Buffalo, mm. and I hadn't unpacked, and it was this mad rush of trying to uh, trying to find find them because legitimately I knew that if I came on here and didn't take them, that I'd be sneezing literally every two minutes. Okay, but aside from that, you're doing all right. It's been yeah. a long. T- you know, I was I was filling in the show kind of like details, the dates and stuff. You haven't done a show here in studio since April twenty first. 20? I know it feels been, like a really long time. <laughs> it's been just like six weeks, almost seven weeks since I've yeah. seen you last. Well, how's it? How are things been going? What's the off season been like for you? I know you've done a little bit of traveling. You've been out east a little bit. You've been uh, going down to the states for a couple different things. We'll we'll get to the Buffalo stuff in a little bit here because I do have a, just a bunch of questions uh, about the NFL or NHL draft combine. But you did uh, you did Montreal as well, didn't you? Yeah, that was an amazing trip. I needed that trip because. Since the end of May till basically mid-July, it's going to be an absolute meat grinder in terms of what we're doing, not only for me Canucks-wise, but also some of my national coverage. So I needed that trip in Montreal. It was great. It was uh, a a hip-hop festival called Metro Metro. We Mm. spent couple days down in the states road trip down to boston and um and it was amazing i mean montreal is like it's funny most of the times when you go to other cities in north america like if i go to buffalo and i'm landing back to vancouver i see the sunset the mountains the oceans and i'm like oh my god i took all this for granted like (laughs) i'm so lucky to be here but montreal is one of the cities that actually sort of is parallel with vancouver is right up there in terms of how nice it is so um, yeah, we took scooters out and just like, you know, mo- like motorcycle, moped, moped. I don't You're know what the You're a big guy on the mopeds. You brought it's this fun. up before on a, it's on a fun. previous show. We yeah. did it all around old Montreal and just like last time, probably 
did like 15 to 20 traffic violations. Yeah. Because that's just how it is. But uh, luckily, no uh, no accidents or that's, nothing going wrong. I've actually there. thought about it, but like I don't think I have enough things within driving distance to just buy one of those electric scooters. Like, I loved doing... Like, we rented them and we did Stanley Park, and that was a blast. But I just... I don't think I have enough things, like, within scootering distance that I would actually want one. I just would love to have one. I think there's Yeah, so lucky cool. guy. Work is literally... Is literally, like, an elevator down. Yeah. How many people can say that? No, it was... Uh, yeah, that part was pretty great. Leaving the UFC event, I was very happy that uh, we didn't have have to walk too far with that crowd that ufc crowd is a very different crowd uh from what you have at a lot of rogers arena events i mean there was a lot of fights and a lot of uh a lot of fun being had uh, you didn't have to you didn't have to take a hundred dollar uber into downtown no but you know what quads and his brother quads brother went to the uh event as did quads but we were down uh in the most ridiculous ringside seats that was unreal but they got an Uber like 20 minutes, 30 minutes maybe after the fights ended. I was shocked that they were able to get out wow. of here. But uh, yeah, that was a blast. Um, let's get to Buffalo a little bit because there there are questions. I already see some in the chat here. If you have any questions about the draft combine, like I'm just genuinely curious. I don't really have like an outline about stuff I wanted to ask. But first and foremost, I guess just like your initial takeaways from the NHL draft combine because it's it's got to be like the most least known draft combine it feels like yeah. like it's not a big deal how much you can bench or how what your vo2 or whatever yeah. these rating things are but what did you take away that you actually maybe learned about like evaluating prospects from the combine cuz they do this for a reason they don't just do it yeah. because it's an event because listen there's not sponsors all over the place and it's not televised it's not a big deal like they they're doing this to evaluate prospects so what did you take away from being able to evaluate a prospect from the draft combine yeah, so right away, though the scouting combine week itself is important, but it has nothing to do with the physical testing. Mm. Honestly, you get there on uh, on the Saturday at the very end of the week, and for the most part, you you for most of the week you'd seen executives, general managers, agents, scouts, like the whole hockey world there, and then you go to the actual combine, and it's like three or four general managers. Most of the agents have flown back. We'll see most of the executives have flown back. Um, you know, each team has their strength and conditioning personnel there to sort of make observations, analyze, um, obviously jot down the results. But I think the important part about the week is first of all, the draft um, interviews, which uh, the combine interviews themselves are standard sort of 15 to 20 minute pre-scheduled interviews but the real value is being able to take guys out for dinner if you're particularly interested with them get to know them on a on a deeper level sort of trying to evaluate their character a little bit it's the first time you're meeting these prospects in person a lot of the time so that's a really essential part of it and then the other side of it is honestly the whole hockey world is there so more from uh gms being able to see each other face to face gms and agents being able to see see each other face to face so for, for example um, the Harbor Center, which is right across from the KeyBank Arena, has a little restaurant on the seventh floor where all of us media are usually just like stalking out there waiting for general <laughs> managers, prospects, all these guys to cycle in and out. Right. And it's like I got there on the Wednesday, but on the Tuesday, for example, you know, you hear from colleagues that Kevin Dayoff and Pat Brisson in that sort of restaurant were mm. like having that meeting about Dubois' future. And that's the meeting where... Um, Dubois camp told the Jets that he's not resigning trade him right so it's like a lot of those types of uh, meetings I mean we saw even I guess Justin Bailey's from Buffalo so 
because the whole agency's there, he walked in and um, a lot of situations where GMs are talking to each other. So I think it sparks a lot of the conversation for the offseason as well. And in terms of evaluating prospects, again, I don't think they put too much stock into the physical testing, but the combine interviews slash dinners, for sure, teams try and pull something from that. And... Um, and more than anything, it's more an event that matters because the whole hockey world is there and it sort of kickstarts conversations about what the offseason might look like. And um, it gives you, like, once you have everybody there, that's when everybody, that's when teams might get a sense of what other clubs are thinking about in terms of who they might be targeting draft-wise. And right. you just have a lot of chatter going on. I think it's it's interesting and it's almost something that we learned through COVID as well of, like, it's so much better in person. Like oh, to get yeah. deals done or just talk with someone or see a friend. Like we all had to Zoom for a long time or make phone calls and things like that. It just gets done when you're in person, right? And I think that's what this draft combine felt like. At least a positive takeaway was what you you know you saw a little bit of greasing and some trades started to happen. Yeah. And do it's, you do yeah. you expect that we're gonna see just like a burst of them pretty soon? Burst of moves once this Stanley Cup final is over and could be done tonight. That's a good question. It's always intrigued me in terms of the timing of, of how quickly teams start to do business. Like when Columbus made those uh, made the Provorov trade, then mm-hmm. traded for Severson and signed him right away. I was surprised at how early that happened. Once the Cup final ends, yeah, I do think it starts to really, um, you know, get going. Um, especially because we're already, you know, it's you know less than two around two weeks now before. You hit uh, July 1st, so the clock is starting to tick, and teams have pretty big decisions to make, especially on RFA. So, yeah, I, I do expect the activity to pick up. And part of the other appeal about the Combine Week, just in general, uh, that you might find interesting is because there's not a lot of media there, it's a very relaxed type of environment. Yeah. And it was funny, like, we're watching Game 3 of uh, of the Cup Final at, uh, at one of the bars right... Um, right adjacent to the arena and it's a pretty dead bar but we're a, a bunch of us athletic people are taking the game in and we're at a table like five feet away from your rocket collided in the blue jacket <laughs> so just one of those weird weird um weird and cool experiences where um i think gms and executives are getting business done but it's a, a very laid back environment and um a lot of people are sort of wondering about Okay, what's this team trying to do? And you know, even even when you come across agents or executives, you know, they'll ask you, you know, like, what's Vancouver going to do at eleven? What do you think they're going to do off season wise? Like, people are curious and they're starting to ask questions. I find that so interesting the way you you said that because I remember back to Montreal and it was after the GM's meeting and we were in that huge huge room, yeah, and it was like shoulder to shoulder because it was thirty two teams waiting for their GM to come out, and that was like a massive auditorium. And, you know, that whole floor was just jam-packed full of people. This is what you're saying, almost the complete opposite. Oh, yeah. I saw some of the scrums, and yeah, like six, seven reporters, it felt like, in a lot of them. Yeah, and people were there for the actual physical testing, but during the week, when you're hanging out around the restaurant, it's so easy to flag guys. Like, I talked to so many prospects, um, a lot of the guys that the Canucks might be interested in, uh, being able to, you know, talk to agents, um, the odd, even general manager, like how many situations do you have where, you know, coming out of a, uh, out of a Tim Hortons, you <laughs> run into an NHL general manager. So because of that, it's uh, a great opportunity to actually have legit conversations because as you mentioned at the draft, it's, it's, there's way too many people, there's right. way too many things going on that 
in terms of actually gaining insight on what's going on, it's actually a lot harder to do that than there's, it is there's at the pressure combine. there. It feels like there's pressure yeah. at the draft, and I think that because everything's happening so fast, you're making picks, the trades need to happen. I guess this is probably just like a loose environment. Very loose. That. Well, that's that's great, and I do want to get into, I think, the, one of the big stories that we had to take away from your writing at The Athletic was the three players that you heard or witnessed or whatever you did. You found this out. You did some good reporting. Uh, that There was three players that the Canucks took out to dinner. I know there's two names that have been added uh, today by Rick Dollywall as well, but we'll start with the three that you mentioned. Nate Danielson, Colby Barlow, and Tom Willander. I do have those right, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They want to screw them up. Let's let's initially, because I've, I've heard you talk about it a little bit. You wrote about it at The Athletic. You can check that out right now. But which one of these players, if you just had to, if I just asked you straight up, which one would be a good pick for the Canucks at 11, if any? It's a good question because my honest answer is that I don't know if any of those three would necessarily be the best player available. Hmm. Like, I'm not sitting here saying I'd hate any of those picks, but when you look at, for instance, whether it's a Willander or a Danielson, I'm torn on whether these guys actually have enough upside Mm -hmm. to be worth the bet at number 11 because in the case of Danielson, for example, for most of the season, he's been billed as a middle-of-the-first-round guy. And look, somebody's going to take him higher than that. Somebody will take him around Vancouver's range, but it's because... He's the safe type of player GMs he's, like. He's Brandon Sutter vibes I get from him. Like yeah. that is 100% the type of player that I get vibes from him. And listen, Brandon Sutter was a first-round pick. Yeah. That's what I've seen and, Danielson kind of being similar to. You, you hope that he maybe has a little more offense or can stay healthy longer. Like Those are things that are out of your control as they turn pro. But to me, that's a, a pretty good comparable, I think. Just Brandon Sutter type guy. Yeah, and, and so a big part of the debate has sort of been is he going to top out as anything more than the third-line center? Because yeah. at number 11 in a pretty strong draft year, you ideally want a guy who can project as, as more than that. And there are some scouts and teams that think that he has second-line center upside. Maybe the Canucks are one of them. But it is a polarizing sort of debate on that front. And that's why I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Again, I'm not saying I'd rip them if they if they took him. But that's, you know, something to keep in mind. And and even with Willander, right? With Willander, I, I maybe like it a little bit more than Danielson because for him, I can at least understand the debate where it's a case of, okay, he had a pedestrian year in the J20 league mm-hmm. relative to competition. But you can at least understand that, okay, he's above, above average size, he's right shot defenseman, skates really well, moves the puck, and defends hard. Has that level of two-way upside? You think of how many boxes he he checks and the type of player he'd be if he hits. He may not be, you know, like a top-pairing stud per se, but those style, that style of player, especially as a right-shot D, is really hard to find. So it's like that's a... You can understand one side of the argument where it's like that's a rare type of asset. That's a rare... Um, type of profile to find in a player. So does that outweigh the fact that he may not have the highest upside? So at least I can sort of understand it. But even then, it's you have to be you have to be careful because again, for most of the season, even if you go on consolidated rankings now, yeah. labeled as a mid to second half of the first round guy. Yeah, he's been one that it feels like this happens every year. Right shot defenseman goes up, right? Like it, it happened with David Reinbacker. It felt like in like March, right? Like everyone yeah. got really excited because he was the top guy. Then I think what Lander started to get a little bit of a push a couple months later, and at this point you're kind of getting the spot of them all kind of plateauing out, right? And this is a bad time. 
Well, not really a bad time, because I guess if you plateau out right now, you're in an okay spot going into the draft. Rhinebacker might be the one that's interesting, because he might... He might end up being like this. I think the second. Not. I don't think he's going to be the third guy. I think he's going to be taken before Willander. But you just you see this every year with a certain like type of defenseman, and this is what's happening uh, right now with Willander in my eyes. Of like he's he's getting a lot of pump. He's probably in the top ten of a decent amount of NHL teams' rankings. I just don't think he's consistently going to be in a lot of top tens, and that's what worries me. Is he in the Canucks' top ten rankings going into it? Because you're right, the consolidated rankings. He, he's outside of the fifteen. He's outside of twenty in a lot of them, right? So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. The one guy who does make sense as kind of the best player available type of the three they interviewed is Colby Barber. Yeah, he is a winger who I can see being a top ten pick pretty yeah. easily. No, I, absolutely. Yeah, and you look at his. Um, Look at his numbers, just pulling it up right uh, right now. 46 goals in 59 games, right? A really high-end a high end finisher. And the key for why I think he'd be appealing for a team like the Canucks is he plays such a gritty, in-your-face, almost power-forward type, uh, type of style. He's already filled out. He already looks like a man. Seriously, you, you see this guy <laughs> at the combine. He's got a full beard. He looks 35 yeah. years old. Uh, but he 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 captained Owen Sound as well. Like he has a lot of those um, traits that sort of scream playoff performer. Mm-hmm. Like when when guys are talking about when general managers are and teams are talking about who do you quote unquote win with, right? You you hear that label thrown thrown around a lot. That's exactly what Kobe Barlow is because he's not only going to be able to score and beat goalies clean from mid range, but he's going to drive the puck legitimately to the net, not do it in a Jacob Tannen way where it's like he's ta- oh he's taking it to the net but really he's just skating past everybody and and that's how he's doing it. Um, Barlow legit has a hard nosed game. He has some nastiness to him and uh, and and it's not like sometimes you have prospects like uh, like this where you know let's say with a Lawson Kraus for example. Mm-hmm. They get built up because of these intangibles and physicality, but it's like okay, production-wise, it, he, he doesn't ha- he doesn't have enough skill to justify how how high he's going to go. But in the case of Barlow, he has the offensive numbers and skill to back it up as well, and that's why to me, uh, he's been all over the place in a lot of these like mock drafts and and, and rankings and, and how teams perceive him. But number eleven would not be a reach for for Barlow. No, I mean you watch what he did for Canada even at the U eighteens. He's first penalty killing. He's first power play. He's top line. Like he he is a winger that I think you feel pretty damn good about. I also find him interesting in this draft because I, I don't think it's I don't think it's one hundred percent gonna happen. I also don't think it's like a ten percent chance of it even happening. But the Canucks picking at eleven Colby Barlow is an interesting one about potentially playing pro. Like yeah. I, I think he, I think he'll go back to junior. But if the Canucks, in any sort of viewpoint of like, hey, we were if they are this fully, we want to be competitive next season thing. Eighteen-year-old Colby Barlow could be playing on your fourth line. Like I, I think that's a player. Like just from my evaluation of him so far, he looks like the type of player who could jump into pro hockey. Yeah, so that's interesting because around the time of the draft lottery, uh, we were Drance and I were sort of talking to scouts about a bunch of prospects, including Barlow, and that's one of the themes that came up is this is a guy, because of how physically developed he is, he could step in pretty soon. Now, I don't know about next season per se, but 
in general, you're not looking at a long timeline like you would be with uh, Jonathan LeCaramacchi, for example. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility because you look at, for example, Cole Sillinger, right? Mm-hmm. Blue Jackets took him 12th overall in 2021. Very similar profile in terms of a stocky guy with some size who shoots well, scorer, isn't the best skater. And Sillinger stepped in in his rookie season and scored 16 goals and 31 points, right? So I wouldn't bank on Barlow necessarily being ready, you know, this coming season. But overall, you're looking at a player that would not take too long before he's ready to step into an NHL lineup. No, I think I look around the rest of those picks, and listen, we're talking about the Vancouver Canucks at 11th overall here. Like Dalibor Dvorsky might be like a very outside shot of playing, but I don't think so either. He's coming from the Alsvenskan. I, I really don't see another name that makes sense outside of kind of the big three of Leo Carlson, Adam Fantilli, and, and Connor Bedard that I would be feeling super comfortable about them playing pro next year. Colby Barlow might be like the fourth guy on my list of like who could play pro next season because he yeah. looks that NHL ready. Like I'm sure he would grow a lot in development like in another year of junior hockey, uh, going back and playing in the OHL. Like he was a big, I think he was captain of the Owen Sound attack. Yeah. Like he's, he's a good player in that spot, but. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if that might be a reason why the Canucks might want to take him at 11. Um, I would hope that's not the reason. Like, you hope that you draft a guy based off his overall upside Mm -hmm. because this is, you know, you draft a prospect, you're you're looking at at a player who you hope can help you for the next decade, not necessarily the next year or two. But yeah, it's one of the perks about him is that there's a little bit more certainty in his projection. Any other takeaways about a certain prospect that was interesting to you or you learned something you didn't know like I'm sure you got you mentioned you got a chance to talk to a lot of prospects and GM scouts everything was there something that a prospect said did or you just learned at the time that you were kind of impressed by it and I'll keep it more specific here somebody around that 11 range for the Canucks so with Willander first of all it's interesting that he's committed to Boston University Uh in the NCAA this coming fall right because a lot of times these Swedish defensemen they'll stay in Sweden and develop in Rogla, which is um, Hoaglander's former SHL club, of course, has a good track record of developing guys that go on to make an NHL impact. So it was surprising, and I had a chance to talk to him about why he made made that decision. And for starters, he felt that he'd get more playing time at uh, at Boston University, play a much more substantial role. And then the second sort of uh, driving force was that it gave him a chance to become acclimated to North America even quicker in terms of, obviously, the cultural and social side. Uh, not English-wise, because his English is really good. Yeah. Uh, but also the smaller rink size and everything that comes with making that adjustment so it's not as much of a learning curve when he's trying to um, go pro. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And he said that in his conversations with other NHL teams that week during you know the standard combine interviews, that... Uh, NHL teams liked that decision for that that he made in terms of committing to Boston University instead of staying in Sweden. So I thought that was interesting. And the other fascinating thing with him was his skating is by far his best attribute. Like he is a beautiful uh, skater. And I asked him about that whether he whether he you know always always had that ability. Like for example, Quinn Hughes. It's like he's he'd say that his his mother started teaching him at like three, four years old. So it's like, okay, like no wonder he's, he's an amazing (laughs) skater. But with Willander, it was interesting. He said that he laughed. He was like, I was actually a terrible skater growing up. Hmm. He's like, 
I he's like my dad told me that I'd cry about how bad my skating was and that's why he like honed in on that so obsessively growing up and it turned into you know his his biggest strength, strength yeah. so no that's that's interesting too and the I wanted to get back to the Whitlander going to university next year I find that very interesting in its own point because I I also think that cuts off a year of development and you can take that as a positive or a negative. I think you could take that as a positive because the NCAA is going to be a big jump up from the J20 league that he played all of his games in this year, but he's missing out on a, a, a typical Swedish defenseman probably goes back for two years of SHL play. Yeah. And I think this is more of an interesting spot of, I wonder if he's just looking to be a one and done in university. Mm. And then does he go to the AHL or the NHL? Because I think there's something about Swedish players who, listen, they'd rather play in the SHL than the AHL. That's just something right. it is. So that's why this situation with him going to NCAA is, is very interesting to me because I don't see him doing two years. I really? see him doing one year. And then I wonder if like, if, the, if this player is that committed to becoming a pro in North America, maybe he's one of the Swedes that's willing to do it with the AHL team. And I think that's probably a conversation that has to be had with the general managers, with the scouting staff, with all these people talking to these prospects, I'm sure that conversation was had. I'm sure that conversation probably affects how a team values Will Lander as well. I think, you know, you get him in your AHL team at 19, you're a lot more excited about that than having him over in SHL developing for two years. Maybe. I think if I was in a situation where, let's say you draft Will Lander and you're looking at his development, I actually would not mind at all two years of NCAA play because I want him to grow his offensive game. That's mm. the sort of drawback in, in becoming a more creative, more dynamic player. And not necessarily that you need him to be a 50, 60 point producer, but just you want him to hit the highest upside and ceiling possible so that he's as impactful of a guy and that you're hopefully looking at, at a guy that can be grow into, let's say, a number three defenseman as opposed to a four or five. For sure. And you look at him in the J20 this year, for example, the Swedish junior circuit isn't that high level of, of competition of play. And it's not as if Willander was head and shoulders above the rest of his competition. You're no. looking at a guy that put up 25 points in 39 games, and people will say, like, oh, like, why do the point totals matter? The thing is, when it comes to prospects, sort of, you have to remember how hard it, how exceptionally rare it is for a player to to get up to the point of making the NHL and getting to the point of being let's say a top 4 defenseman in the NHL you're you're essentially aspiring to be one of the top 100 top 125 defensemen on the planet mm-hmm. of all ages and so to hit that type of sort of upside it's like if you're playing at a level like the J20 it doesn't matter if you're a defensive defenseman it doesn't matter like what sort of role or or capacity you play in you want to be head and shoulders above your your competition. And like the classic examples I, I always think of is like a Curtis Lazar, right? Curtis Lazar was a dominant, dominant goal scorer in, in the OHL. He was head and shoulders above his um, above his peers. And that was only good enough for him to just crack the NHL as a fourth line grinder, right? So because of that, I think there's a lot of growth left in, in Willander's game. And because of that, I'd want him want actually a more patient approach with uh, with his development, because look, I, I can understand it where you can look at his size and his skating and you know how mature his defensive game is and go, all right, could he be one and done and, and, and play pro at 19 or whatever? But for me, I actually wouldn't be opposed at all for him to take ex- some extra time and, and really grow into as dominant of a player in the NCAA. I mean, even look at, and you're talking about a different, uh, different um, 
position here, but Logan Cooley going th- uh, number three overall yeah. was outstanding in the NCAA this year. He's going back for another season. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be one and done. And, uh, and so because of that, it is an interesting sort of discussion around the best way to sort of maximize his growth and, and what timeline you'd be looking at. Cooley just doesn't want to go to Arizona. <laughs> have, honestly, another, though, have another year of fun playing a bigger arena down at the- Honestly, though, if I was a prospect, I feel like if you're 1920 going to Arizona, yeah. it's not like I've been, I've been to Arizona. I think it was not this past season, but the year before that. What a beautiful city. Like oh, the sure. weather's amazing. And it, it, and it's honestly like you're playing out of ASU. Like you're basically getting the college, like, a college type of lifestyle anyway you're literally playing on a college campus yeah. so it's not a, a huge learning curve so if anything like i actually you know as much as people dunk on arizona i'd much rather go i'd much rather be happy to graduate sign and go there as opposed to let uh, let's say like oh like get ready to spend your winters <laughs> in calgary edmonton or winnipeg yeah no that's that's a good point and you get the college experience yeah you bring up a good point uh, but we'll have to see. Uh, Cooley's going to be an interesting one. But you, you're well, you're right. Like he dominated the NCAA, and, and I'm very curious to see what Willander looks like next year as well. Uh, why don't we get to the poll question here? Brought to you by the great folks over at Atlas Goods. Uh, check them out on Twitter at AtlasGDSINC. Check them out AtlasGoods.com and use our promo code CC15 for 15 percent off your first order of pop rinds. The best. Pork rinds out there right now. They got the bacon flavor. They got the big ones, the mini ones, tons of different stuff. AtlasGDS.com and promo code CC15 for 15% off. Support a good local business. Our poll question today, Harm, and we'll get you to answer this one. The 11th overall pick has been traded in two of the last four drafts. Which outcome do you like the most? Option one, keep the 11th overall pick. Option two, trade for the 14th and 45th pick. Option three, Trade for the 27th, 34th, and 45th pick, or I'm angry. What do you think the best option here is for the Vancouver Canucks? You can add an early second, you can add a couple of late firsts, or you can just keep the 11th overall. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Yeah, for me, I would keep the 11th pick. I just think overall, whoever you draft is going to be cost controllable for a long while. He's going to be on an ELC. That's the type of player that can, not only because of the on-ice impact, but because of the salary impact, mm. can really change the fortunes of your franchise if, um, if, if he hits, right? So because of that, I'd want the best shot possible at landing a player that... Um, you know, maybe isn't top of the lineup right away, obviously, but can grow into that type of core piece, maybe even has some star level upside. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'd be hoping for. Now, it is going to be interesting because if the Canucks value positional premium and they're insistent on taking a, a center or defenseman, you know, like a Danielson or, or a Willander, a lot of people have said, well, in that case, why don't you trade back a little bit, and, and maybe all of a sudden the the possibility of um, of let's say fourteen in the early second sounds uh, really appealing. And yeah. look, if you can pull that off, that's great. I think the the risk that you'd be running into is somebody going to take those guys yeah. in between because, like I said, or is another team going to trade up again and get that because that opens up trade up options. Too, yeah, for a team who knows that hey, the Canucks are trading down to get. Willander at 15. The other team that really likes him for 13, maybe they're willing to give up that third round pick to move up a couple spots. Like that, it, That's why those tr- drafting those guys are really tricky because somebody's going to reach for them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's like are you going to the team that are you going to be the team that reaches a little bit at 11 or are you going to trade back and gamble knowing that you might not get him and that somebody in the meantime might snap them up. Yeah. Um, results of the poll, by the way, 42% say keep the 11th overall pick. 40.4%, so this is a very close poll, uh, are saying trade for 14th and 45th. 7% saying the trade down option for the late round, uh, the late first round picks. And then 10% saying I'm angry. So I think a good debate here between 11th and, and going with 14th and 45th. My point of view would be if you are trying to get a positional type of player, which Listen, I think the Canucks need to do at least a little bit in this draft. I I understand that you want to take the best player available. I'm just not convinced that the player that you draft at 11, regardless of position, there's no guarantee that he's the best player available. There's no guarantee of that. Well, what if in a Zach Benson size. falls? Sure. Is he the best player available? For sure. 100%. 100%. In five years, is he the best player available 100%. in the draft? He could be. I don't know if you can say 100%. Okay, not a hundred percent, but like I, I, I'd run to the table to make that. Bet. Yeah, and Benson's a, like I'm, I'm with you. If Benson drops, I'm with you. I have no problem with him taking yeah. a winger. If Mitchkov drops, I have no problem with him taking a winger. Yeah. If it's a, if Those it's, if it's a Matthew Wood, I'm like, okay, I can understand why yeah. you lean towards exactly. Positional. I think that's the thing. Like even Colby Barlow. Like if Barlow's yeah, there, and you're looking at some other potential. Like if if you if you're between Barlow and Ryan Backer, I'm taking Ryan Backer every time. Yeah. I think if you look at even Dvorsky or Barlow, I'm taking Dvorsky because oh, I like that center. For sure. Uh, Oliver Moore, I'm taking him. Ryan Leonard, probably taking him. He's a center. Like, this, the cent, like to me, there's a – it's interesting because there's a huge argument, and this is something that happens like once a week on whatever show <laughs> it is, like uh, best player available or position. I, I really don't think there's that much potential for it to actually happen, right? You mentioned Benson. We talked about Barlow. Those are kind of the only wingers. That I was make looking sense at Leonard it. because, yeah. like, he can play center. Leonard is interesting because I don't think we know whether he's going to be a winger or center at the next level. But for me, it was Leonard and Benson that I had in mind. Of like, okay, if those guys drop, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take them. Yeah, 
No, uh, outside I, of that, I agree. Where it's like, if you're just talking about it, like a Wood or or you know somebody Cristal's another winger. Oh uh, right? yeah, I don't like, like Cristal. Yeah, um, know. if it's like one of those guys, then or and of course a Mitchkov if he falls and of course, yeah, but you, you're right. Like I think we're on the same page here. Like that, yeah, we are. You are going to take the best player available that you believe at the time, but I think you're taking. It's not necessarily. It's like best of the tier, right? Because I think you probably have your tiers here in this draft. You know, you're not getting one of those top four guys, like right, the the big four: Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, and Carlson. You're not getting one of those guys. You do have a chance of getting Benson. You do have a chance of getting more. You do have a chance of getting uh, Dvorsky. Like I think all those players could be there. At Eleven. I feel like that's like the second tier of players that actually could be there. Like I think Will Smith's going to be gone. He's not oh, falling yeah. out of the no. top ten. Um, trying to think of some other names here that might like. I don't think Rhinebacker's getting out of the no. top ten. Do you think Sandy and Pelica goes in the top 10? Like, does somebody love him enough? There's a lot to like. I of don't course. know. You mentioned the J20 scoring before. He had half a goal per game in his J20 season this year. I don't love him as a prospect. I don't I, either. I don't think his play in the his play in the SHL really made me think he needs to reevaluate his game before he gets to the next level. He can't play the style that he did in J20 at the next level. He is going to get wrecked. It happened this season in 22 games in the SHL. He was out of place. He was playing Rover. He was giving up so many two-on-ones against because he's the deepest, you know, deeper than all the forwards on four checks. He wasn't good enough at this at this age right now in the SHL to really impress you enough to make you think that this is going to be him at the next level. Like, I think he needs to change a lot of his game before he gets to pro, but he's, re- he's a really good junior player. Don't get me wrong. He's an excellent – he's going to be really good at the World Juniors. He's going to be really good if he plays any J20 games next year. I don't think he's going to be really good in the SHL next season. Yeah, I don't love him as a prospect for the Canucks. And that's one where a bit of a wild card in terms of how much teams love him. I think because mm. of the lack of size and some of the concerns you mentioned, it wouldn't surprise me if he slipped out of the top 10. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you're insisting on taking, taking a defenseman, I'd much rather Willander than I think I like Sandy Willander Pelican. more, too. I just don't like either at 11. So I do yeah. have a trade proposition that I built. Sure. We can pull the graphic up here. I hope the YouTube's been okay. I know it's been scratchy here and there and in and out. But uh, can we get this up? The trade-down option. So the Nashville Predators are hosting the draft this year. Mm-hmm. Right? The Predators are hosting. They have a big, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna want to make a splash. We saw what Montreal did last year at the draft. Okay. We see what teams do every year when they host. Predators have a lot of picks. i got to pull this up because it is actually crazy how much uh, the Nashville Predators have in this upcoming draft. Two first-round picks, two second-round picks, three third-round picks, three fourth-round picks, two fifth-round picks. So we are looking at 12 picks in the first five rounds. They have a lot to play with to move up. So the Canucks' 11th overall pick may not even be a target of theirs. They may have enough to move up quite a bit because they have the 15th overall pick. They could get into the top 10. They have absolutely all the firepower in the world to make it happen. But if a team in the top 10 doesn't want to trade out of it, this is the trade-down option I like the most for the Vancouver Canucks. They would trade their 11th overall pick as well as the third-round pick that they have that is 75th overall, in exchange for the Predators' top first-round pick, which is 15th overall. They would also get the 46th overall pick, which is a you know mid-second-round pick, as well as the 68th overall pick. So they're moving up from their third-round picks in this trade here. This, to me, was evaluated off of the... The value, at least, was evaluated off of the Victor Soderstrom trade from the 2019 draft, where they yeah. traded... Uh, Arizona traded up to get the 11th overall pick. They gave out... Uh, the 14th and the 45th pick. So the value here matches pretty similar to that. Um, This is what I like the most because I really think you're getting a defenseman and you're getting a center here. At 15, 
If the Canucks like Danielson, I'm fine with them taking him at 15. If they like Willander, I'm fine with them taking him yeah. at 15 as well. If one of the wingers like Colby Barlow or Matthew Wood drops to 15, which, listen, one of these four players of the names yeah. I just said there is going to be there at 15. I like this because then you get whatever player you get at 15, you draft the best right shot defenseman at 46 overall that you have on your list. And that's a great first two rounds of the draft for the Vancouver Canucks, who, listen, they're going to probably get a really good player at 11 if they draft at 11. They don't have a second-round pick. Whatever yeah. they're getting here, that's all they're getting. You have the potential here to move down, add a second-round pick. And I really think that the way the Canucks prospect pool is right now, you see players always drafted, like Scotty Morrow, Brock Faber. These guys drafted in that 40 to 50 range that are very high-value right-shot defense prospects. I think you can find one of those in this draft if you're able to add these picks. So that's my my trade-down options. What do you think about that? Because I know you've, you've been steady with saying you think they should stay at 11. Yeah. If you're... Well, the the difference to keep in mind is I'm looking at a lens of I I I'm looking at it from I'm gonna take try and take the best player player available correct as opposed to trying to fit in a center or a defenseman particularly, but the Canucks might be leaning towards the latter. In which case, a trade down scenario, which is where I'm leaning to. I'll, I'll say I, yeah. I think the Canucks need to draft a center or defenseman here. I, I they can't take another winger. Unless it's Mitchkov or Benson, they can't take a winger in my eyes. You mm-hmm. can't take a winger. You can't take – as much as I love Colby Barlow, I don't think you can take him at 11. The problem is if you if – you're, if you're trading down, you kind of have to be willing to accept the risk that you might still end up with a winger there. True. Like 11 to 15 – like – True. What happens if you're, let's say, at 11, let's say Willander is off the board, okay. right, already – and so you really want Danielson and you're going to trade from 11 to 15. Like who knows that 11, 12, 13, 14, one of those teams might take him. Then what? Then you're going to take a winger at 15 anyway. Yeah. I, I, or you're going to right. like end up reaching for that next tier of defenseman who you shouldn't be taking at 15. Yeah. So that's why it's so. I just think that the, the way that I do believe this draft is going to play out, you're going to get Danielson or Orlander at 15. There's a decent chance. I just because don't if know if not, it's a guarantee. You, you get Axel Sandy and Pelica there. If nobody like I, but I, can I, I see wouldn't want him there. I, I would not. I could no. see him at 15 being an okay. I don't player. mind. Like the thing with with Sandy Pelican, maybe I'm too harsh on him. Mm-hmm. Is just he's he's a small power play quarterback type of pure offensive defenseman. I think he moves the puck extremely well. Um, I I like look. I've been hard on him. I don't like. I really hated his play in the SHL. Like I thought he was ineffective at the SHL. And that's what worries me. I also think I also understand that he's 17 and he's going to develop a lot of those tendencies because he's probably just leaned on his offensive stuff throughout his whole career up to this point. The, the, the worry I have is typically if you look at the history of sort of small, a lot of these small Swedish defensemen that aren't, aren't like, uh, or not even Swedish, but small defensemen that aren't, that don't have multiple elite traits, right? Like you look at Quinn Hughes and it's like, all right, he's undersized, but his skating is is special and his hockey sense is special. Mm. But then you look at, let's say like Adam Boakvist, right? Was sort of touted as, oh, could he be the next Eric Carlson? But he wasn't quite special. Goes in the, goes, I think, eighth overall. Hasn't panned out. You look at... Yep. Um, Soderstrom's another we just talked Soderstrom. about. Soderstrom. Team traded up. Team traded up Soderstrom. to take him. Didn't yep. pan out. Um, you look at... Uh, there, there was another example. Nils Lundqvist dominated yeah. in the SHL, 
didn't pan out in that sort of similar vein. You look at there's a there's another example that uh, that was coming to coming to mind. Um, I'm drawing a blank here, but there's like four of these types of for guys sure. that like consistently come up. And for me, if you're taking a small defenseman really high, like you have to be certain that he's like a Did Quinn you bring Hughes up caliber. That? You brought up Boakfist right off the top, right? Yeah, Boakfist. Yeah, he was. The guy. You have to Somebody be certain that he's that. like a Quinn Hughes type prospect in my uh, in my opinion. Hmm. If you're taking him in the top fifteen, yeah. Okay, here's here's the here's a curveball for you then, because I think this player is very well, could be very available at fifteen, and uh, I think it's only because of the Russia factor. But Dimitri Simish, oh, I you like pull him at fifteen. Oh, that like be... he's another guy thrown in that mix of hey, if you're getting Matthew Wood, Simishev, Willander, Danielson, all of these players, I feel like you're gonna have a pick of a couple different ones at mm-hmm. fifteen. Like you are, like to me, I, if you're willing to take the Russian, then okay, yeah, yeah, I agree. I see. For me, I'd be willing to take Simishev. I wouldn't even think that's unreasonable if, uh, at eleven. Is Simishev with uh, Milstein? Because that could be <laughs> if he is, like uh, you know. Shut it down right Buffalo now. Buffalo at 13 would be my worry with Simashev because okay. they've invested a lot in Russians. They're not afraid to take Russians. They need help on defense. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be my worry if you're looking at Simashev. But you're right. If you're if you're open minded that it's like three guys, you know, Willander, Danielson, and Simashev. And I, I guess it comes down to where you're at at 11. If you're sitting there at 11 and you have four options that you like at 15, then you make the trade. Yes, I think ultimately that's what it's going to end up coming down to in this draft. Uh, oh, guess who is a gold star client? Dmitry Simashev. <laughs> All right, so the Canucks are going to take Simashev in the draft, then for sure. If he's a Mil- he's a Milstein client, yeah. he's come. Okay, well now that I can't believe I haven't looked this up before. Okay, the Canucks are going to draft Dmitry Simashev uh, <laughs> uh, in two weeks, so that's wild. Assistant uh, general manager Dan Milstein got, is going to call. Yeah, the he's got the two years. He's step um, up to the podium. He's got the two years in the KHL contract, but Milstein, he'll pull that off. Come on, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, Probably pull some strings. Okay, well, I need to start. Uh, I'm going to be writing a profile on Simashev now that I know he's a gold star client. Uh, all right, I think we've had a pretty good draft uh, discussion here. Odds and ends don't really have much to uh, to wrap up the show with. Just uh, have you golfed at all, I wanted to ask. Because you and I golfed no, at Young we Stars, need to, and I uh, want to do it again. And Penticton, you and I will be golfing again. Yeah, we need to find an easier course, though. I'm, I'm yeah. not... Good. Here's the problem. When you and I golfed that one time, we had to use like rental clubs that we've never swung before. So I'm blaming those quite a bit. I am blaming that a I'm lot. I'm not because I've never golfed. I've That's only true. ever played pitch and putt. That's so right. I'm like, so you're going to be bad regardless. <laughs> and I'm a lefty. So it's like I'm going to have to take rental clubs regardless. Yeah, no, it's understandable. I I will be bringing them this time for sure. Bring my own clubs because that was a beautiful course I want to play on. I went a couple weeks ago. Um, actually, two weekends in a row. I went, went once for my birthday and then one of my uh, good friends' birthday the weekend after. And I played the worst round of my life, and then the best round of my life. And I watched YouTube all week, and I just crushed it last week when I played. It was the best I've ever played uh, and just had a blast doing it. So then I got hooked, and then this whole Canada uh, situation at the Canadian Open here with Nick Taylor and yeah. Adam Hadwin and all this crazy moments. Now I'm like, I'm a little uh, overdosed on, uh, on, on golf right now, man. Like, I can't stop watching YouTube videos or everything. I'm a little hooked. I got Let's the start fever. with pitch and putt. Yeah, we'll we'll start with pitch and putt. We'll invite Quads out. Yeah, Quads, that's his home course out there. He he'll show us every corner and uh and all the holes. I remembered I remember the the other uh, prospect I was thinking of by the way, Eric okay. Brandstrom. Yes. Another uh, yeah. like Swedish like undersized offensive guy who 15th overall had a great statistical profile then like hasn't panned out. Yeah. No, that's yeah. It's the same. Uh, are they all Swedish? The players that y'all just mentioned? There? No, I, I think they were. I th- right. I think actually, Soderstrom, yeah. Bokvist, Brandstrom. Who's the yeah. last one? Um, 
Anyways, go back Whatever. to the tape, whoever it was. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, and listen, that's, that's, yeah, Lung, yeah, Swedish. Uh, I just, I, yeah, I, it's going to take a lot for a player to kind of break through that mold, but I think you're always going to get excited about the right shot offensive guy. Like, if you're playing that J20 Swedish league, those guys thrive in that league. That is a league that's not built on physicality. As much as it's evolving and getting more physical by the year, that J20 league is still built on having a wider ice, having a lot of space, and defensemen always carrying the puck. Defensemen don't pass the puck in the J20 league out of their own zone. They have all the space in the world. Unless there is a 100% easy pass to make, they carry it. And that's why these guys put up so many points. Like, you watch them carry the puck past the neutral zone, they get past the blue line, then they make a pass, and then the puck starts going around, and they pick up a secondary assist. So you see a lot of these points. These points don't mean a lot to me in the J20 League. Like, I, I have to watch them play. It's like a good example of a player I, I was just right about. Anton Wahlberg is a guy who didn't put up a ton of points in J20. He's a center in the Swedish League. But he played, like, 35 games in the SHL and had a very respectable, like, above above 50% Corsi in the SHL. It's a 17-year-old center Scored a couple goals, and then he goes to the U-20s and looks really good. He's projected going, like, the third round, third, fourth round. Like, these type of players are, it's, I don't know. I just find it so hard to look at a stat sheet and think you you can give any sort of a prospect evaluation from an elite prospects page. You, you really have to watch these players or, or understand at least, like, the situations that they're in. And for me, ASP is that worry that, yeah, his stats look great. And when he gets drafted and that big graphic pops up and it's like, games played, goals, everyone's going to be like, oh, I'm really excited about it. You got to see what happens. I'm right with you. Yeah. I'm right with you. Anyways, Canucks are going to draft Dmitry Simashev. We know that for <laughs> sure now. He's a Dan Milstein client, um, so that's good to go. I think we'll wrap it up on that note. Big shout out uh, to the great folks at Zephyr Epic, as well as the UFC. We didn't really we touched on it a little bit off the top, but uh, they were a sponsor of the show for the past week. Uh, it was great working with them. They put on a hell of a show. Harm, the pre-fight meals that they put on, yeah. I'm talking blackened chicken. I love asparagus oh, when yeah? it's done the right way. I know you probably don't. No. You're not. No, you're not. But asparagus is one of my favorite vegetables when it's done the right way. It's it, And it was done to perfection. Pizza at the end of the night as well. Multiple, oh, wow. Two different media meals from the UFC. Un- incredible. All for free. They're, brought, they're sponsored by Prime and Monster, my two favorite drinks in the world. Oh, it was good stuff. They put on a hell of a show, man. I... I it was great. Aside from the the railing falling over, blame that on Roger Serena. Aside from that, everything how much looked would, great. How much would um because you ended up ringside? How much would those equivalent tickets for spectators be? I'm curious. Well, you know what? I thought about that because so directly across the cage from me was Rick Tockett. Like Rick Tockett yeah. was directly across, and I'm like, hey, he didn't pay to come in here. He was with Adam yeah. Foot and uh, Slavkovsky, the the skills coach. He was with those guys, and I was thinking, I'm like. The cheapest ticket to get in the building when I looked the day of was two hundred and sixty dollars. Yeah, that there was upper bowl seats. Yeah, right. Like uh, the whole arena. This wasn't like a concert where the backs covered off. Like this thing was fully full, upper bowl, lower bowl, everything. And I was thinking, like, it's got to be at least twelve hundred dollar ticket. I would think, yeah to be ringside. Like it was, yeah, it was very uh, very cool. But it was also like kind of strange because the media, it's very different in UFC. Right? Yeah. Like the media was very different. The guy that I was sitting beside um, was just from like Island Sports 
news. And yeah. he's just like, yeah, like they just sort of like, hey, do you want to go to the UFC? Like, and he was like, yeah. Like, just yeah. Like, like, you, you know, we were kind of in the same boat. It's not like we were reporting that much. So how did that scene. work? Did you guys contact them or did they contact you? Well, they were sponsoring the show. So oh, we, right. we had a little bit of a relationship with them. And they were, yeah, they said, you know, apply for it. And we'll see if they have room. And they had room. So we got to experience uh, Amanda Nunez. Uh, Nunez, she had a great fight. Uh, an incredible career. Uh, and just the, the Canadians went undefeated that night yeah. too. Eh? All six Canadians won. Uh, and that was a blast to see. So yeah, it was, it was just an incredible event and shout out to the UFC. I think we were, we, they liked the response from everyone here on the podcast and Canucks army and nation network and all the, the ads that we ran and, and partnerships that we had with them. So apparently that's something we'll be doing again in the future. So that's great. That's awesome. That's, that's hilarious because I'm just imagining like a bunch of Canucks supporters go to UFC <laughs> and it's like, don't know any, don't know how to analyze UFC at, at all. And it's just like, but it's like, you're writing something off of it because you're there and it's yeah. like. Hard punches. Well, we did get an article out of it. The Rod Serena fence fell over, right? So, like, that was our article that came out of it. So, hey, we did do some reporting uh, while we were there, but I was mostly just drinking drinking Pepsi and uh, enjoying the food. It was good stuff, but uh, good stuff. They run a tight ship, though. You can't have any, like, labels of unsponsored drinks on your table. We have to keep all of our drinks underneath the table and and things like that. So, uh, Another tough day at work, eh? Hey, long walk and the, you know, the commute and everything. It It was wild. Um, but yeah, good stuff. Uh, UFC put on a hell of a show, um, and that was great stuff. So we'll wrap things up there on that note. Um, geez, so what? Two weeks away from the draft now. You're going to Nashville, yeah. right? Awesome. So we'll be down in. Uh, I'll see you in Nashville in in two weeks' time. I'm not sure the show schedule for that week. Actually, we'll have to we'll get that sorted out here. Quads is going to be back on Friday. He's down in uh, in Seattle right now, uh, watching the Mariners play against uh, I don't know some teams. I can't. How do you keep up with baseball? They play 160. I can't keep up with it. Um, but uh, Lions game on the weekend. Excited for that. I'm going to be heading to the Lions home opener. Oh, nice. Um, so I'm pumped for that. That's going to be a blast. Uh, we'll wrap things up there. We'll be back on Friday. Uh, going to try and do a little bit of work. Apologize to the folks on YouTube here. This uh, connection is um, we've switched streaming devices. We're working on something. And uh, clearly we're working on it uh, because it needs to get better. So we'll be working on that after. Uh, but for my co-host, Harmon Dial, our producer, Aaron Bordado, over there in Edmonton. He's wrapping it up. Aaron knows baseball, too. Um, My name is Chris Faber, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.